International Leopard Day. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye. And as you may know, May the 3rd is International Leopard Day. And in order for us to give you some more information and to share some awareness, Michael Appersamley had a chat to Gareth, who's one of the guides at Mala Mala, which, as you probably know, is one of the very best places to see leopards in the wild. The density is amazing, the viewing's amazing, the photography's amazing. So in this episode, Mike chats to Gareth, and they talk about leopards, general behavior, and pretty much everything leopard. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Michael and I'm from Wild Eye and today I'm going to be speaking to Gareth Nuttall-Smith who is from Mala Mala, one of the best game reserves um, in South Africa when it comes to prolific game viewing sightings, a beautiful, beautiful area within the South African continent, within the African continent and especially South Africa and today specifically I'm going to be speaking to him about the leopard in light of World Leopard Day coming up on the 3rd of May. We're just going to try and get some general information from him, some facts about leopards, uh, go a little bit more into detail about who he, who he is and how he got into the, the guiding in industry and more specifically conservation. And on top of that we're going to, we're going to get a little bit more stuck into the, the specifics at Mala Mala, some of the experiences he's had with the leopards there. So so, Gareth, thank you so much for joining me, me today. Um, it's wonderful to, to have a chat with you. Lovely to finally meet you. Hi, Michael. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. And hello, everybody from the uh, Wild Eye community. Awesome. Well, Gareth, I think, um, you know, I, I, we, it's the first time we're meeting, and I, it's, I'm sure some of the, the guests, it's a, it's a new time for them to hear from you. So, you know, I just want to get to know you a little bit. Um, you know, who is Gareth, the guide, the conservationist? How did you get into this industry, etc.? And, you know, where did this all start for you? Yeah, I started growing up, really. I grew up in, in Botswana and Gaborone, so okay. not quite in the wilderness parts of the country, but still that exposed me to African landscapes and, and natural spaces. Okay. And my parents telling stories of their times in, in the bush, my mom growing up in Botswana, going to the Delta for holidays, and then growing up, my dad going on safari. That kind of got the bug. Yeah. Then, yeah. I guess, sort of growing up, I didn't go into the bush as much as I would have liked to. And whenever I did go into, into sort of the wild spaces of Botswana and a couple in South Africa, because I just, I wanted to spend longer there. And my mindset was about becoming a guide because guides live on site and yeah. get to see these things on a daily basis. And then you know, I went to, to high school, got into university, ended up studying zoology and ending university from Rhodes um, with master's in zoology. Okay. I did research on elephants in the Eastern Cape. Oh, wow. How long was that? How long did you do that research and stuff? So I did work on elephants and their reintroduction into Eastern Cape private game reserves okay. and whether or not they were having a, an impact on the Albany thicket, okay, which is wow. very different to other vegetation types um, across the African continent. Yeah. And we found that they actually weren't having too much an effect, small populations um, able to control them a lot better. Um, and then it's, it's quite a positive for elephant conservation really kind of those kind of outcomes so so specifically at Mala Mala how long have you been based there Gareth? yes after I completed my master's I was looking for the next thing and 
I've been at university doing the theoretical side of things for six, six and a half years, and it was time to sort of get myself into the bush rather than pursuing an academic career. Yeah. And I had a friend working at Mala Mala, and he said they were looking for a couple of guys, I, I, and I should throw my my CV in the sort of in the bunch. And that was kind of the last of it. So I ended okay. up at Mala Mala end of 2018, and I've been here for three and a half years. Okay. Kind of COVID threw a bit of a, a curveball in amongst that sort of three and a half years, and I started as a full-time guide. Okay. But with the research background and my interests being conservation-based, I always wanted to move into more of an ecology conservation sort of field, and that was kind of progressing slowly. And then with lockdown and guests not being here, it kind of fast-tracked my transition from guiding into the conservation space. And at the beginning of last year. I took up the position of conservation officer on Mala Mala. Okay. And I, I guide part time um, since then. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that must be an amazing, because similarly, I also previously at the, at the reserve, I was working at Maritaba Conservation Camps, Markeli National Park, close by there in Limpopo. Um, I also jumped, you know, a little bit from the conservation side to and then into the guiding eventually. And I think, I mean, it's, I think we find ourselves, you, you and I both and, and many other guys who've done it that way, in a fortunate position to have that experience in both fields. Because, I, I mean, obviously, as you know, they go hand in hand and working together is, is a lot more beneficial than, than you, you know, the, the fighting that can come along with it every now and then, call it that if you want, you know. So, yeah, it's, it was a, it's an amazing opportunity to fill that role especially at a property like Mala Mala and get exposed to what happens more behind the scenes that yeah. you're involved with guiding, but you a little bit removed from it. So yes, yes. definitely the exposure to actually the running of a game reserve from a management point of view is so different to your general understanding when you, you're guiding guests and you learn the environment very well, but mm. some of the behind the scene things are definitely, well, it's definitely been an eye-opening experience. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's extremely eye-opening. Eh? You know, when I, was a, when I was a young kid, conservation to me was, was looking after rhinos. And then, you know, when I got exposed to it fully, it's, it's a completely different war game. So, so now, I mean, that's... So many parts moving together to make the whole system work and... You know, in the current world in which we live, it's important to actually manage these systems and these yeah. landscapes. Otherwise, they are subject to sort of falling apart if we don't manage them, even in big open systems like the Greater Kruger National Park. Yes, of course. Ultimately, we put up fences and, and we've got to manage them for our outcomes. And as a sort of tourism entity that Mala Mala is, it is game viewing is, is the principal component of the game reserve. and. Yeah there's a bit of management that needs to take place there to ensure that that is sustainable for the, the long sort of term. For sure. And I mean, on top of that, you know, what's, what's your favorite part of what you do, Gareth? I mean, you know, being out there, like you say, you're on the property. That, that's what we, we live for. Um, you know, what, yeah. what, what is it about it that's, that you absolutely love? It's working in an open system and especially on, on a property like Mala Mala's, it's just such a privilege to work on a reserve like this where you can wake up every morning and you don't know what you're going to see, especially from a guiding side of things. Yeah. And having an unfenced system, Mala Mala's 13,500 hectares, that's quite a substantial 
size and mm -hmm. one of the larger private game reserves in this area. And the, the size of the reserve and, and the length of sand river that flows through the property really makes it special. And you can wake up on a day and you, you really don't know what to expect. You kind of know yeah. where things are, but all of a sudden there's change in line dynamics or a new leopard comes in from Kruger that you've never seen before and it behaves completely different to what you're used to or you haven't seen wild dogs for three, four months or weeks rather than months. Mm. And then all of a sudden there's a pack on the property for a week. Yeah. Um, and then cheetahs, that's where the three or four months comes in. And then all of a sudden there's a cheetah on the reserve and, and it's sort of a scramble to go and see them because it's it's a rare sighting. So I guess that kind of component of what we do, the unknown and, and just the dynamics are constantly shifting. Yeah. And to watch those dynamics play out, you really get a connection to the system and the animals and the individuals at the end of the day, when we look closer at sort of, especially leopards and lion prides mm. and, and leopard individuals, you sort of become accustomed to their story and their lives. And yeah, it's hard not to become sort of emotionally attached to these animals when you see them on a monthly basis and regularly. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. And that's definitely something, um, you know, towards the end of this podcast that I want to expand on is, you know, how you've gotten to know certain individuals, those type of things. Um, but I think for now, um, you know, I think it would be quite an ideal, like I say, you know, the, the main focus around this podcast being uh, the leopard and the, the almighty, elusive, beautiful, stunning leopard that we, we all love. Um, and I think for just a general understanding for people to, to know a couple of facts about leopards, um, you know, I'd like to, to sort of jump off of your knowledge about that um, so that we can just sort of educate a couple of the listeners who, who might be wondering about some certain facts. And I think a great place to start, you know, is just when it comes to certain leopard behavior, um, in general, general information that we, we're looking about, um, in your experience, and, and I think this is something that we have to take note of and, and be aware of, you know, of course, in, in every environment and area and situation, you're going to get slightly different behavior. Um, and and I, I want to sort of base this chat off of, off of your experience um, in your guiding days, your conservation days. Uh, what's the type of general daily behavior that you come across uh, with the leopards, you know, in terms of our ma males versus females? Is there certain different behavior that you notice between the two uh, in terms of territories, those type of things? What's, what's been your experience on that type of stuff, Gareth? Yeah, generally, leopards have been somewhat understudied on an African or as a big cat globally because of their secretive nature. And mm. what is special about the Sabi Sands and Mala Mala in particular mm. is we've got a really good understanding of our leopard populations because of game viewing over the last 30 to 40 years on the species. So mm. a secretive cat has sort of opened their world to us through really ethical practices that have played out over generations. And that's what's allowed us to, especially guides in this area, to see these cats the way we do. Mm. And textbooks will tell you one thing and, and yeah. one study will reveal something new every time they come along. But there's nothing like watching them on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. On Mala Mala, for, for example, we have around 30 individuals, that's including cubs, that we see on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. and it's probably estimated that we get around 
40 individuals that make use of the property um, as a whole. Um, they won't all be solely territorial. We get nomadic individuals moving through. Mostly your males, you'll get a male moving through that you don't know. Maybe coming from Kruger, somewhat nervous of the vehicles because they haven't been exposed to them as much. And then, so that's one of the key differences between males and females. Females have mostly grown up in this area. They've been exposed to vehicles and our practices growing up and they don't change their behavior around us. Mm-hmm. So one day when you come across a new male and all of a sudden there's a leopard that's running away from you, you don't understand it, but that's just an animal that hasn't been exposed to our practices. And over time, mm-hmm. they, they're very shy at first mm-hmm. and over time they get used to our cars and our movements and how we move and position ourselves around them. And you go from an individual that was shy initially of cars because they've never been exposed to them to one that walks right past the vehicle, not even sort of batting an eyelid at you. Yeah. So in terms of males and females, I think those are one of the sort of differences. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're fortunate enough to get a, a male that's grown up in the proximity of game viewers and is relaxed, but mostly that's our female population and our male population. You've got nomadic males moving in as sub-adults, establishing themselves, becoming more accustomed to the area and our practices, and they relax with time. And that's, I think that's one of the nice dynamics that we watch out, yes. or watch play out yeah. over time um, in this area. No, that's fascinating. And I mean, yeah, like you say, you, you touched on it a bit there. I think that's what's special about the situation you guys are in. You get to know these specific individuals on a very, very um, intimate level, you know? Um, and, and yeah, that sort of brings me to another question here for you. You know, I, I, I think one of the big misconceptions about leopards um, of them only being active during the night, being nocturnal. And is, is this something that you've experienced or, or do you kind of go against the textbook based on your experiences on that? Definitely goes against the textbook. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah leopards are mostly referred to as nocturnal species and or crepuscular. So active yep. at, at dawn and at dusk, a couple of hours before and after sunrise, a couple of hours before and after sunset. Mm-hmm. That's when their activity levels are at their peak. And then during the middle of the day and the middle of the night, they, they're not really too active. Mm-hmm. But at Mala Mala, we don't really sort of have strict game viewing times and, and we can drive around for long periods of time should the weather sort of be accommodating to that yeah and during winter when the temperatures are really pleasant you can spend large amounts of time out in the field Mm. and it's amazing how much activity you see in the middle of the day of not only leopards but also lions walking around in the midday hunting between the hours of 10 o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the afternoon one of the big questions you get asked as a guide is how many kills have you seen and yeah what's it like and (laughs) when are we going to see a kill? And I would say in my career watching, over my career at Mala Mala watching lions and leopards, most of the kills I've seen is between that window, 10 and three o'clock. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few kills at night and in early morning, but that's the time, especially during the dry months when animals are congregating around the water, Mm. the movement of prey species is predictable and they're coming down to the sand river and the predators are lining the banks and you're watching a leopard waiting in ambush like they do so well and a herd of impala comes and maybe they miss the first herd 
a second herd of impala comes and then it's on and you watch it kill mm. and it's 12 o'clock in the morning and everybody's like, it's 12 o'clock in yeah. the middle of the day and yeah. you just watch leopard being active and making a kill. Yeah. So it really does sort of break open that idea that leopards are nocturnal yeah. or just crepuscular, but that is obviously time of the year and seasonal dependent. Yes. And that's mostly during winter months or cooler days during the summer months mm-hmm. when, they, when you're getting that midday activity. Um, but yeah, mostly active at like around dusk and dawn. Um, and that's when you see them moving around the most, but they definitely don't stick to the textbook. They yeah. move around in the middle of the day as well. Exactly. As you say, completely against what the textbook says. Um, and, and yeah, in terms of when it comes to mating and stuff like that, uh, how often do, do leopards mate? Um, is there certain patterns that you've noticed, those type of things? So it, it obviously depends on on where a female is in, with her reaching independence and mm-hmm. then going into adulthood. Generally, leopards will start mating at about two and a half, mm-hmm. we've seen here, and then sort of having their first cubs at about three and a half. So that, that first little bit is not really... They're not conceiving and having cubs that young. We've seen most of their leopards sort of at around that three and a half year mark having their first litter. Yeah. We may not see their first litter even. Yeah. Because some of our cats we don't see on a very regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally that three and a half to four years old is when they're having their first litter. And then it's around sort of two and a half years between litters, depending whether or not a female successfully raises a litter to independence, whether she's got female cubs or male cubs. Female cubs generally go independent a little bit younger and earlier on than males at around a year and a half, and then males around the two-year mark. And that's just got to do with where those cubs are going to disperse to. Generally, yeah. females stay quite close to mom. And, and Panthera's research that they've done in the Sabi Sands and, and Mala Mala sort of protected area shows that females would bequeath territory to their female cubs. Yeah. Therefore that cub knows its environment. Mm-hmm. So it can go independent from mom earlier, whereas males typically would get pushed away by bigger males after leaving mom, go nomadic and have to move into an area and an environment that they are not accustomed to. And that means the female will be having cubs at different intervals depending on success of the litter, firstly, mm-hmm. and then if the litter is comprised of males or females or both. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I mean, have you ever noticed, I, I noticed it previously where I was working, um, females going about and, and, and mating with separate males at, at, at those times. Have you noticed that yourself as well? Yeah, females will move around. They want to secure the next generation and, and their next generation. And mm. you've got a factor where male leopards or male predators in general will kill offspring of other males that are not of their own. Mm-hmm. So a female will typically have a territory surrounded by one male. Mm-hmm. So a male will typically have three or four females within his territory and he secured the breeding rights of those females. But if a female is maybe on the outskirts of a male's territory and there's a couple of males around her that she might come in contact with, she does mate with them. So that when she does have cubs and should a male that's not the father come across those cubs, he might think twice about killing them because mm. he, he might consider that these are possibly my cubs. Yeah. So 
she will move out of her territory. We've seen female leopards move through other female leopards territories into a territory of a male that's neighboring her territory. Okay. That's not necessarily territorial over her, but just to ensure that if he does shift his territory or a new male moves in and pushes him out of his territory, changing those dynamics slightly, she's investing time and effort into raising cubs. Mm. And should the dynamics of the male population shift, she still wants to secure her next cubs future as best as possible. Mm. So she's mating with males around her just to try and secure that next generation's sort of survival ship a little bit better to not waste time and, and energy into raising cubs, gets them to about a year old, a new male moves in or male shift isn't the father, kills the cubs. That's a lot of time and energy invested mm. that's almost gone to waste. So yep. when they are mating, they move around, they try and mate with as many males as possible. And it's also been recorded that cubs from the same litter have different fathers. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. No, I think you've you've answered that perfectly, Gareth, um, and 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 very informative in that sense. So thank you for that. And and another question I've got for you here um, is just sort of what are some of the threats that that leopards are faced with? I mean, yeah, we're talking about South African le leopards specifically uh, within Africa, etc. What what are some of the threats that that leopards face in general um, out in the in the wild? One of the biggest threats to African wildlife is habitat loss. Yep. And with that comes an encroaching human population into wild spaces. Mm -hmm. And then you have human wildlife conflict. Yeah. And it's not only leopards that are affected by this. Leopards are one of the most adaptable species. They're cryptic, they're secretive, and they can sort of exist in a landscape with people because of their ability to just disappear. But definitely habitat loss, the encroachment into wild spaces by people, which then inevitably brings people and wildlife into conflict, mm -hmm. is one of the biggest threats to leopard populations. Mm -hmm. And with that, you've got uh, poaching of leopards, uh, leopards getting poached for their skins because they're used in traditional ceremonies. Um, but Panthera is doing really good work on that, where they've made synthetic skins and that's that's really doing well okay, to wow. sort of try and reduce uh the trade in leopard skins yeah and, but that's that's just the nature of sort of the world in which we live with human mm. populations expanding people are always going to come into conflict with wildlife mm. and wildlife ultimately at the end of the day doesn't stand much of a chance mm. unless we are able to secure from a conservation point of view that especially habitat and educating people as sort of how to treat and manage wildlife moving through their their landscape as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and 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 like you say, uh, the sad thing about it, I think, is it's it's not just the leopards that are are faced with this problem. You know, I think it will always be an ongoing. But but fortunately, like you say, people like that are involved in Panthera and all of those, they really are. Um, trying trying their best to make a difference and and guys like yourself you know um, a guide at Mala Mala uh, guides all over the country I think the guys are are constantly bringing awareness to how important um, places like Mala Mala are and and you know how important it is to to look after this wildlife and, and these natural habitats um, so it's great to hear that Panthera uh, are, are doing such such good work there by you guys, and 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 that's something I want to touch on a little bit towards India. 
Um, but a, a question I have for you, Gareth, that, um, you know, when you, when you have your guests out and you, you guys see a leopard, um, you know, there's excitement. Everyone's, it's, it's a beautiful animal. What's your favorite go-to interesting fact that you tell your guests? I don't know if I have a sort of a, a single fact that I, I sort of go to. It's obviously one of the most sought after species from guests for photographers. Yeah. Mala Mala is uh, one of the best photographic destinations for, for leopards. And people come here to see leopards because it is some of the best leopard viewing in the world. Yeah. And I don't know, my guiding style is more focused around individuals and known individuals and the dynamics that are playing out so mm -hmm. I try and get my guests to buy into that idea of lineages and identifying the leopard and how we go about identifying the leopard through mm -hmm. spot patterns mm -hmm. they all have unique spot patterns that is a couple of spots above their top whisker line that's used primarily to identify individuals and then there may be other markings that are used after that so it's a rate it's my approach is really to involve the guests in the identification process and then share the story and the life of that individual mm -hmm. and the surrounding individuals, which is often more engaging. You can you develop a bit of an emotional connection to an animal yeah. and a leopard. Um, I think yeah, that's sort of more of my approach rather than sort of a standout fact. There's obviously all the information that you can say, but this is the animal that we're looking at and this is the life that this animal lives is kind of my go-to. No, I think that's a, that's a, a great approach to it. Eh? Um, and, and I certainly admire that. And I, I think that's what we look for. You know, you know if you were to, to go sit on a game drive with someone, uh, forget, forget your knowledge of the bush, etc. But, but I think that's what gets people um, involved and, and that's what people will walk away with, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's an incredible way of going about things. With Mala Mala being one of the most outstanding destinations with prolific uh, wildlife sightings, um, high quality leopards, lions, you've mentioned them all, you know. Um, you obviously, you get to know these individuals on a, on a very intimate level and, and you get to spend time with them and, and those type of things. And is there a specific individual at Mala Mala that stands out for you? It's so tough. And you, I think you go through different phases where different individuals, maybe one that you're viewing at that time more so mm -hmm. than at another time you sort of become more fond of. But there's a there's a young male leopard on Mala Mala, the Angobas wine male. Mm -hmm. I would say he's my favorite leopard on the reserve. When I started Mala Mala learning roads, and you get given a, a Land Rover and a map, and they say, go, and Mala Mala's got more than 450 kilometers of road. It's, it's a large property to cover, and you've got to learn these things. Him and his brother were 11 months old, and they were the first leopards I found on my own. They were lying in a, in a mitre drain on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. I'd seen other leopards on Mala Mala. I'd been to sightings that had been called in when all the guides had closed down for, for breakfast, and I was still out there learning roads. Yeah. But these were the first leopards I found on my own. Yeah. And I sat there and I'm like, I don't know who these are. I haven't seen them in my short time here. And I was drawing the spot patterns out, trying to ID the sex and mm. sort of putting the spot patterns on a piece of paper. And I was like, this is this is awesome. I wonder if 
everybody knows these leopards or their new leopards. Obviously, they were well known, <laughs> not to my understanding at that point. Um, and then I've watched I've watched the two of them grow. When I when I started guiding guests in sort of the winter of 2019, they were at that independence age, and you could rely on going to certain points on the reserve, and almost daily you would find them. And so, and then you would get sort of more attached to them as individuals. And, and a Gubazwan male I tended to find him more often than in, than what I feel male. Mm-hmm. And then he shifted his territory closer to our Balamala camp, an area which has um, got high densities of prey species. It's really perfect leopard territory. Mm-hmm. It's highly sought after. And there's this young three-year-old male leopard sort of moved into the area the Senegal bush male who was dominant at that time shifted his territory and this young male is like, oh, there's no big male here. I'm going to just squeeze Sorry. myself in, lay low <laughs> for a bit. And now he's four and a half and he's a father to our knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, to the Kleber Rocks female. And we see him on a, often he's the most viewed male leopard on Mala Mala now. Oh, wow. Okay. For instance, last, last month in March, we viewed him 13 days out of, the month which wow. is quite a lot yeah um and he's becoming more predictable you you know if you find tracks you can go and find them so mm. i've got a, a a soft spot for him because i've watched this process of him growing up and then you sort of think he's going to go nomadic and he's going to move off and you're never going to see him again mm. and he's actually stuck around which has been it's been awesome to watch him sort of enter that dominant stage of his life although he's still a touch young yeah there's still some big males and moving around him but he seems to be holding his ground so he's definitely sort of high up on my list and then the daughter of the island female watched her from a cub mm-hmm. in a den site wow. and watched her grow up to be independent a couple of months ago she went independent from mom and and she's doing well and she's the first cub that the island females raised independence in her sixth litter so that's a little investment into cubs yeah this is her first cub and being able to watch that story unfold Mm. um the heartbreak of her losing litters and then the joy of watching her raise her first cub to independence and then the cub itself seeing that process of growing up and becoming a a leopard that's solitary doesn't need mom anymore yeah is is what really is special. So those two leopards are kind of high up on the list, I'd say. No, I think you guys are very, very fortunate in that sense. And I, I mean, I think that's something I feel I've, I've often missed out is, on is, you know, the, the time that you guys get to spend with individuals having working in the low fault area. Um, that's, uh, it's, I envy you guys about that. So, so that's truly, truly special. Um, and is there, is there a leopard sighting or story? You mentioned the story now of, of finding, finding the young cubs on your first couple of walks out on the roads. Um, but is there a sighting or a story or something along those lines that stands out for you the most? Where, like, if someone says to you, what's the coolest thing you've seen a leopard do? Or leopard sighting, whatever, along those lines, what would you say it was? Yeah, it's, there's, there's so much that comes yeah, to mind. And I it's can hard imagine. To sort of pinpoint, <laughs> excuse me, it's hard to pinpoint one specific sighting. But it's definitely, I think, for me, that stands out in, in my time at Mala Mala to date is the story of the island female and watching her raise this cub to independence. Mm. I think most of the rangers on Mala Mala have a soft spot for the island female because of 
watching her fail on several occasions sure. and now having successfully raised a cub. Yeah. And then even during that process, there were two of them to start off with, a little boy and, and now the daughter of the island female. At about four months old, she lost the young male. And I was there while she was searching for this cub, roaring, looking in trees. Mm. The female had been taken to a den site. So clearly she had had a kill, was walking the cubs back. Something went down, which we didn't see. And then watching her search for this cub and then not finding it, but then having her daughter and raising and then the daughter going missing for three or four days and being in a siding with the island female constantly roaring. Yeah. And now you just, you think, oh, she's lost another litter. This is, this is heartbreaking because yeah. she's invested so much. And then the cub bounds into the sighting and mm. there's this, you know, the connection between the two. And then yeah. because sort of, I would say towards the end of last year, middle of last year, they were the most viewed leopards on Mala Mala. Mm-hmm. So we were viewing the island female and her cub on about sort of 25 days a month. And I think, I forget exactly which month it was, but it might've been sort of March or April. I think we viewed them 28 days out of 31. Oh, wow. It was somewhere in those months. Wow. Um, and that's, you just get this insight into them. Yeah. And then you're just watching her grow up. And then there goes another time where she loses the cub and it's a few days and it's, you know, something's happened and there's an interaction with another leopard and the cubs disappeared and she's meeting a new male and it's, the male chases them and now you're thinking oh this is she's got her so close so it's just that story of having not been successful for so long and yeah. then being successful to raise a cup to independence and in that process there's been ups and downs and you've watched so much of it because you've seen them so often so mm. i think to highlight one sighting is difficult mm. but i think the process that process over the last year and a half has been really special to watch in terms of a leopard raising cubs and watching the, the cub make her first sort of kills and then her first impala. And then I had an amazing sighting um, where it was very interesting. It was almost like this was the moment that she was going independent. Mm. The day before we had watched her make a, a kill. And then the following day, her mom and her had a very interesting interaction where they were grooming a lot. There was a lot of contact. It was almost longer than an unusual amounts of grooming and connection. Mm-hmm. And then the cub walked away and mom called and she came back. And then it was grooming again, a very extended period of grooming. And then the cub walked away and mom called and called and called and the cub didn't come back. And then eventually the island female started roaring Wow! and left mom roaring where they'd been together, went to, see if we could find the cub and the cub was already a few hundred meters away from mom walking the opposite direction, mm. not responding to a call that she's relied on for so long. Yeah. And it was almost the moment when they, it was the like last friendly interaction between them. Mm. Interactions have, we've had interactions and sightings of them together, but they've been a little bit hostile. Okay. So whether that was the moment it was like, you're on your own now, girl, you know how to do this. Yeah. I don't know, but I'd like to think so. And yeah. it's just an incredible process to have watched. No, for sure. And, and it certainly sounds it. And, and it certainly sounds like, you know, like you mentioned, you, you can't help but, but grow an emotional attachment towards these animals. 
Um, and I think that's easy for you to feel and to explain to your, your colleagues and, you know, they feel the exact same way. But why should people care about leopards, Gareth? Why, why are they such an important animal uh, within these ecosystems or, you know, within, within the world? And, and I think we can expand that question further into, you know, just wildlife, nature in general. I think, okay, to start off like this, every kid that grows up in South Africa or Africa that has a passion for wildlife or the bush, one of the species that they want to see the most is probably a leopard. And that's probably the one species that's the hardest. Mm-hmm. When you go on safari, you want to see lion and leopard and, and cheetah and maybe wild dogs. And you can often see the other species. Leopards, there's not many places that you get to view them mm-hmm. like we're really fortunate to view them the way we do on Mala Mala. So I think growing up, so many, so much emphasis is on finding leopards, mm-hmm. going to the Kruger and you want to find leopards, or in my situation, sort of going to the Okavango or Chobe to see a leopard and you don't see them. Mm-hmm. It's not around. And when you do see them, it's just such a, it's an amazing sense of accomplishment almost. You've, you've found an animal that is so elusive and so secretive yeah. and they're letting you have a glimpse into their life. Yeah. So I think, and also people coming from overseas and, and our, our visitors to our wild spaces in Africa, they want to see these animals as well. And, and you can really touch people's lives. And I guess as a guide, that's where you're really fortunate. You get to see the reaction of your guests sitting behind you when they first see a leopard for the first time in the, in the wild. And so many people have this idea that they're not going to be able to see it. And if they do, they're really special. Mm. And it's a really special sighting. And we get to do it more often than not at Mala yeah. Mala. Yeah. In my in my guiding career, it's it's I might just put a lot of pressure on myself here and touch what it doesn't get to the <laughs> stage. But I I have never not shown guests leopard. Yeah. That's impressive. Quite a phenomenal stat. No, that's impressive. That's impressive. I've worked at a reserve previously where I went a year and a half, seeing the signs, seeing the tracks. And I, I did not see one leopard for a year and a half. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you see. Yeah. We work in a really special place, that's for sure. No, certainly. And just protecting wilderness and wilderness spaces, especially sort of getting back to your larger, broader question there, is in Africa, especially where so much natural space or landscapes across the world, on them, Africa's still somewhat untouched. And you've got these vast landscapes that are relatively untouched with an intact carnival guild, for instance. Uh, We've got meso carnivals from caracals and jackals up to the large apex predators like lions and leopards. Yeah. And we've got huge diversity in our ungulate um, species, sort of what makes up prey densities. And the spectacles that Africa has to offer in terms of a wildlife um, viewing Mm -hmm. is just... Yeah, second to none, really. So preserving those, um, allowing the world to see them, and, and mostly, I think, African continents to make use of wild spaces and to preserve them, it's, it's our most sustainable resource that we have with tourism industry uh, from an African sort of context. Yeah. And keeping an iconic species alive, we all know that they're key species in the system. They have invaluable roles to play and it's essential that we keep keep these species going not only for the functionality of the system Hmm. but also the joy of of watching these animals uh, live their daily lives 
for sure. And the spectacle and the draw card for an African continent, it has for a developing nation or continent as a whole, it really is a sustainable resource that should be tapped in more than it potentially is. For sure. I agree completely with you. And, and you know, like an association like Panthera's, the work that they're doing in the Sabi Sands, I mean, can you touch on that a little bit? I mean, you know, what type of work are they doing there to protect these environments, these animals, all of that? Yes, Panthera have been working in the Sabi Sands, Mala Mala sort of protected area as a whole for quite some time now. And Mala Mala has kept records of our sightings since the late 80s. So they've taken all of that data from a leopard point of view to try and work out relationships between individuals and wow. reproductive success. And they've had really great success in that. And then and then from there, the sightings, there's no collars on animals in the Sabi Sands, a lot of data and information on leopards previously has come from collared individuals and it's intensive research and it's quite expensive. Leopards is one of the most understudied large carnivores there is because of their secretive nature. Mm. And in, in a system like ours, where they're so relaxed around cars, we get insights into their daily lives that you just can't. Even with um, GPS collars on them, for example, you can't see what's, what's playing out. Yeah. And Panthera, they've set up a system where they log all of us, or we log our sightings into their database, GPS coordinates, what they're killing, what, well, what animals are feeding on, We've got notes on interactions between individuals and they're really teasing apart, I think, some of the information and, and key behavioral and biological factors of leopards that have never really been known to science before. Mm. Just for example, in the, in, in the Sabi Sands, Mala Mala area last year, there were 8,193 recorded sightings of leopard across wow. the system. Wow. Now that's that's a huge data set. Yeah, that's incredible. That's that is a, that is a massive data set over the area, and that's what Panthera used. They also use camera trap the surveys across the system where they've got parallel camera traps, mm -hmm. which take photographs of animals walking past them, individually identify individuals, and they can get an idea of how many individuals are moving in an area, mm -hmm. and then they can compare that over time. And what they're doing is they're using the Mala Mala and Sabi Sands complex as a whole, this entire protected area, as almost a example of what leopard populations should look like elsewhere. So they, they've got a baseline on what a, a leopard population that is safe mm. and is secure looks like. Although the habitat here is perfect for leopards compared to habitat elsewhere, they can drive conservation efforts elsewhere in Africa using this area as sort of a baseline to work from because the animals are so relaxed, they get huge amounts of data on a monthly basis and that can inform their decision-making for uh, conservation efforts elsewhere in Africa. No, listen, I mean, that, that's absolutely fascinating work and um, it's, it's, it's so good to hear that, you know, this type of work is going on behind the scenes um, at these places and and, and like you said, I think you've touched on it brilliantly, Gareth. Um, you know, I, I appreciate what you, you, the time that you've spent with us today. Um, hopefully our listeners can, can take something away from this, you know, as we, as we celebrate World Leopard Day. They really are truly 
um, special animal around the world and, and certainly on our continent. Um, and, and, you know, if people want to see leopards, you're the guy to come and see. So uh, it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Gareth. Um, and again, I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners who have spent some time. And yeah, are you, are you busy coming, coming up in the, the next couple of days, Gareth? Got guests coming in at all? I, I don't have guests coming in. I'm coming towards the, the end of my six-week stint. So I'm set for leave at the end of next week. Wonderful. Um, it's always tough to leave on leave, but it's always a needed break. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, we're looking busy. We're looking like we're going to go into a good winter, which is nice. Um, hopefully some, some good game doing and some special sightings to come from Mala Mala in the months to come. Well, we'll certainly follow, you, follow your, your journeys. I love the updates on your guys' social media, media. It's brilliant. I feel like I've never been there, but I know what's happening. So, so I think you guys do a fantastic job there. And, and yeah, for anyone who's listening, um, go, go give Mala Mala a, a follow. They really do um, show, show off some incredible wildlife sightings. Uh, go fo- follow Gareth. He's, his Instagram feed will be left on the end here. And, and, and yes, once again, Gareth, thank you so much. Uh, it, it was great chatting to you. Thank you for all of your, your insights and your knowledge into everything that goes on at Mala Mala. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on, on your platform. And I hope your listeners and I hope everybody out there has enjoyed this podcast and learned a little bit something. And hopefully we can get you to Mala Mala soon and come and see some of these leopards. For sure. Awesome, Gareth. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Have a great day. Thanks, Michael. You too. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.